dear future past and present policymakers, dear friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Oxford Policy Podcast. My name is Johannes Jakob. I will be your host for this episode. I'm a current master's student of public policy and part of this year's podcast team. I have a background in data science and previously worked in the United Nations and the development sector. But let us dive right in. In today's episode, we hear from the people of the Master of Public Policy, their experience and their journey, what brought them here and what they will do after. Today, I'm very delighted to welcome Shoet Gamot at our studio. Shoet was the first person from the cohort who I met. And for the first months of the program, we managed to basically not talk about our personal political journey. So I'm really delighted to have him here and talk about his experience and hopefully learn a lot of new things about uh, Shueb in this conversation. Shueb, hi. Um, very good to have you here. Um, maybe let's start um, with, you know, you telling us a little bit of, uh, about yourself and kind of what motivated you to apply for the Master of Public Policy. Thank you so much, Johannes. I'm really happy to be here. Um, so yeah, I'll take that question in two parts. I'll firstly talk about myself um, and hopefully not take too long. Um, but I'm 24 years old. I'm from Manchester. Uh, I grew up um, in Manchester, um, born in Side, lived in Fallowfield for a little bit and then came back to Side. And the reason that's important, I'll get into that in a little bit more detail later on, I think. Um, but I'm incredibly passionate about education. I've had a very unconventional educational journey. Um, I was never the brightest student growing up um, and my parents had, you know, didn't put pressure on in regards to education, but always talked about the importance of education. And that really came back to me later in life. And um, I think I have a very unconventional love for education as well. Um, so academically, wasn't necessarily interested in, in revising and, and doing a lot of work in that regard, but really passionate about um the other elements of education, whether it be experiences or extracurricular activities, all the other things that you could gain out of university and and um, and school in general. So I come from a very big family. Um, I have three older brothers and one younger brother and one younger sister. Um, in my family so far, we've got, we're, we're quite like, education is really like uh, embodied in every single one of us. We've got six degrees, I think, and two masters. And my sister and my little brother are still not um, finished or even started university. Um, but that's not necessarily, you know, me bragging, but it's just me talking about um, how even though my journey to university and to doing this master's was unconventional, it was always something that was kind of brought up within us, but ne not necessarily put onto us. So we weren't forced to kind of make the most out of our, um, to, to, to do our master's or definitely go to university. But it was always there and we were always encouraged to, to, to dream big. So what brought me to the Blavatnet School of Government is um, quite simply um, a year ago, a year or so ago, I got an email from one of my mentors, um, Alvina Malik, who's a CEO of a, of a charity that I volunteer for. And she recommended this scholarship, this particular scholarship, which is called the Political Leadership Scholarship. And um, I initially, literally, I replied black, literally like I can show you the email I replied like I don't think this is for me I don't think I'd necessarily get into Oxford and I don't think I have the grades to get into Oxford and she just sent me an email within three minutes saying 
I wouldn't have sent this to you if I didn't believe you could get in. And um, yeah, looked into it for a week, fell in love with the concept, fell in love with the idea of meeting people from all over the world. And then put my hat in the ring. I put a lot of effort into that application and really thankful to be here. And not only have got a place, but got a scholarship as well and being a political leadership. Right. Yeah, this was a great overview. And I think I have a lot of questions just from this introduction. Um, maybe let's start small. Let's start with uh, where you grew up. How can we imagine, you know, little Shweb growing up in uh, Manchester? You know, maybe can you describe your neighborhood? And you, you mentioned that you it was an unconventional journey. Maybe can you, can you tell us about what was unconventional about it? And then we can also talk a little bit more about, you know, your passionate passion for education. Yeah, sure. So, um, so I was born in Mosside and, um, I was born in like, um, 1999 in, in Manchester. Um, at that point, Manchester was a very different place to what it is now. I bloody love Manchester and I recommend everyone goes there. It's one of my favorite places in the world and I love my community, but in the late nineties, it wasn't necessarily a very safe place to be. So um, I remember my mum telling me stories about hearing gunshots and that's quite rare in the UK. Like it just doesn't happen that often. Um, but it was an area where there was a lot of gang violence. And, um, but we were never, I never saw that. Like I, I literally grew up in an echo chamber. I had two incredible parents. My father's a taxi driver, uh, a black cab driver, um, an incredibly hardworking guy, incredibly smart. Um, my parents were both from, just to give you context, my parents were both immigrated here about 30 years ago. 34, 35 years ago, um, from Somaliland and they, they fled in a civil war. Um, so my father was, had a scholarship when he was in Somaliland and went to a British school. So he got like, he was incredible at English. Like he's still probably better than me at English. Um, on the flip side, my mother didn't go to school at all. She literally just one day said, I don't want to go to school to her mom. And her mom was like, okay, well, you can help me around the house. And I think She was 11 when she made that decision or even younger. And uh, she was the oldest girl in her family. So she literally raised everyone. So just to give you that context, it was my father who was um, one of the smartest people in his city and his town, um, grew up a goat herder as a child. And then when he was 13, got the scholarship to go to this amazing school, um, boarding school in Borough. Um, and my mum, who never went to school at all. So I grew up on my side, quite a dangerous neighborhood and My mum, for some reason, even though she didn't know any English at that point, she just knew that the area that we were growing up in wasn't necessarily the area in which she imagined we it would get the best out of us. So um, my father, like I said, was really hardworking. Um, he, my mum kind of pushed him, if not forced him to buy a house in, in Fallowfield, which is a slightly better area. Fallowfield's no... Um, It's not, it's not Oxford, you know, it's not, it's not Westedsbury. It's not, you know, or, or these not, it's not Chelsea. Like it's, it's, it's a decent area, but it was just a slightly better. And I think it was also far away from a lot of the people that were maybe potential bad influences. So me and my brother, who's two years older than me, Hamza, like my best friend growing up, um, we grew up in a very, in very much so an echo chamber. So my mum used to drive us past six primary schools to take us to a primary school really far away. And um, again, this is like one of the reasons I think my mom's so incredible. Is she didn't understand English, but she just realized, okay, this kid's going to this school, have a certain type of parent, 
and the kids going to the school that's really far away in a more affluent area look like they have parents that are really dedicated and want to make sure that their children have good lives. And she thought, I'm going to drive my kids three or four miles every morning. So we used to literally drive past six. I, like I Googled it like a couple of years ago, but we used to literally drive past six primary schools to get to Cavendish Primary School. Um, at this point, again, um, relating back to my un unconventional journey. Um, so growing up, I had a speech uh, impediment or a stammer. Um, so I used to stutter a lot with my words and my brothers would always take the mick out of me it was a bit tough but uh it was hilarious at the same time but I love them don't get me wrong um but they used to take the mick out of me so much but in a big school like Wilbraham which was at, I was at previously 30 kids in a classroom I didn't get any specialized support but in Cavendish it was a classroom of 15 people and there was an amazing woman called Bridget like I've not seen her since I was 11 but I, I will never forget her face and I'll never forget her she used to take me out of the class every day for an hour and we'd put marbles in my mouth and we'd do loads of different activities. And by the time I left, I literally had no uh, speech problems or I could just, I was, I was completely fine. Um, um, so my mum was amazing, like my father as well, incredibly hardworking and amazing, but they didn't really understand some of the things that were going on in regards to my educational journey. So I remember in year, in, this is a, this is a really sad, but really funny story. In year five, my parents got called in. Um, I was diagnosed with dyslexia and the teachers were talking about how it's going to be fine and you need to do this and you do that. And then I got into the car on the way home and my mum was in tears and she looked back at me and said, don't listen to them. You're not disabled. Cause she didn't know what dyslexia meant. She probably, she thought they were calling me. Um, and obviously I'm not laughing at disabilities, but it was more of a, and in my head, I was like, wow, I, I really shouldn't listen to them. I should, shouldn't take it into consideration. I'm not dyslexic. Um, so got diagnosed with it, luckily, because of that special support, support that I used to get. Um, but it never went. So in high school, you have to declare it yourself. So you have to tell the school. So that got never got taken into, into, into consideration. Um, and I just dealt with it. And I managed to deal with it. And I'm absolutely fine. Um, I'm here. Um, but like, so with the best of wills, like my parents just kind of just used to work really hard in our education but it kind of sometimes fell short from the end of uh, understanding why am I why you know the reasons I learned best or whatever it may be so anyway going back to um where I grew up so again really I, I grew up incredibly privileged and I don't like talking about the fact that I was um, grew up in Mossad because that kind of gives an idea of what kind of upbringing I get I had I was so lucky, Johannes, like I was so incredibly lucky and I grew up one of the probably one of the most privileged people in the world. Um, I had parents who loved me so much, parents who drove me to do incredible things. I had siblings who were all really supportive and we really cared about each other. Um, and yes, we grew up in an area where things were happening nearby. People were getting involved in gang violence. People were getting involved in, you know, stealing and, and just, you know, st stupid stuff. Um, but I was never like, we, we really grew up in an echo chamber and my mum would make sure that we were busy. So my day-to-day -day life would usually be going to school from nine till four, um, getting home at four o'clock, watching an hour of TV, then either going tuition for a couple of hours or going to Arabic classes for a couple of hours or going to do some sports or going to like, help my mum um, volunteer and stuff. So we used to, every Saturday morning, we used to have to wake up really early and we'd go to the local mosque and we'd pick up all the carpets and we'd wash them all, go, take them to the, my mum would just do it. My mum was a very giving person as well. And she used to do a lot of charity work, even though she didn't work, which again is really important for later on in the story, I imagine. Um, 
but yeah, I think that kind of gives it an idea. Yeah, that that gives a great idea, and it's um, very inspirational and and touching to to hear you speak about uh, your family and 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 your journey. Um, at the beginning, you mentioned your passion for education, and and you now also mentioned your school and you know particular teacher who kind of you know looked out for you. Um, and so and and you also mentioned that your your mother would drive you you know to a particular school you know past all these schools that might be less for less privileged people or or, or where where kids would you know struggle more presumably. So. Maybe tell us a little bit about your like your 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 passion for education, what kind of school meant for you, but also, you know, in hindsight or, or, or what do you want to change about the fact that, you know, actually there's this one school where people, you know, are, you know, who come out will, will benefit in society. And then there are these other six schools where, you know, presumably it's very difficult for, for children. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, so my passion for education is quite simple. Like, I didn't do particularly well in school. In high school, um, I surprised all my teachers. I remember on results day, like, my teachers coming up to me thinking, what the hell is going on, literally. Um, so in high school, I didn't do particularly well. Um, sorry, I did okay. I got decent um, GCC grades, kind of outshined what I was expected to do. A-levels didn't do well at all, had to reset. Again, did average. Went to a very average university. But when I went to university, I realized that I, I finally realized the best way that I kind of revise and I and I do well. Um, so I did really well in university. I got a first class degree. I worked full time in my final year. It didn't impact my studies. Like I really enjoyed being very specific and very targeted about my approach. And I studied accounting, I studied accounting and finance and I loved that. So regarding my passion for education, it's quite simple. I genuinely believe that in this country, the most important thing to your life chances are the postcode that you're born into sometimes it's your family as well and obviously people are grow up with um, extreme wealth but have really difficult family situations and i completely get that but in general if you if you compare like for like individuals and you look at what schools they've been to whether it be private or public you can see what kind of trajectory tra trajectory they're going to have i was really lucky to go to a really good primary school and a decent very decent a high school um with you know decent standards but there's a lot of schools in my area that don't have them standards and where children are not being given the support that they need i'm really passionate about children being um, being tested for dyslexia for adhd um for, for any of these you know learning difficulties because it's not necessarily a difficulty it's just you do things in a different way so I finally realized when I was like 18 or 19, the best way that I revise and I did research and I learned that I, I revise much better when I'm doing very specific targeted things for a, for a specific period of time. And now when I'm revising, I just don't struggle nowhere near as much as I used to when I was younger. So that's my main, like my main passion is like young, very young children being t tested and being tested again um, throughout their lives. But also like when, in regards to like making it political, um so i am a member of the party i am a political leadership scholar um but this is this is like, like i was passionate about education before i was even interested in politics so i don't see it as a political thing i don't see it as a left or right thing i think that every party both the labor party the conservatives and the lib dems intrinsically believe that children should get 
the best level of education that they can possibly get. And it's simply not having happening in this country. In this country, if you go to a certain type of school with with lower um, with um, smaller classroom sizes, with um, you know, literally just the relation between classroom sizes and how well you do is ridiculous. But with with more resources, you're you're much likely to do better. I'm not necessarily saying that I would abolish private schools. I don't necessarily believe in that. I think that the choice is important as well. But I just believe that public schools need to be better. And we shouldn't be taking funding from better public schools to um, to, to less performing public schools. We should be increasing um, funding for all schools and making sure that all children uh, are given this opportunity to succeed. So, yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you're in the Labour Party. So, so you're taking this topic of education to a political level. And I think this is not, I mean, hearing your story, it makes a lot of sense. But what what was maybe the triggering moment, moment where you thought, oh, I need to take things into my own hand, hands. And um, what are you doing about it at the moment? So uh, like, that's, a, that's a really good question. And, and I think it all starts when I was around about 14. So when I was 14, I grew up in, like, I, I, before I moved back to my side, I was in, no, 13. I was in, I was in Fallowfield for a few years. And, um, there was a local library that I, that I used to go to a lot and there was a thing called homework club. So basically every day after school, not every day, but some days after school, I'd go and we'd pretend to do homework and we just have this space to kind of like play video games on the computer back when computers were a big deal and not every, not every household had one and we played board games, whatever. So funding got cut. That homework club was closed. And then a year later, they tried to close the library. And I remember there was a town hall me meeting in the library talking about the library being closed and I was 13 years old and I was so annoyed and felt so, you know, helpless. Um, so this massive group of people came together and everyone was speaking and shouting at this blessing, like civil servant that had nothing to do with the decision. But everyone was screaming at him. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to have my say. And I remember my brother Hamza just saying to me, put your hand down, you idiot. You've got chocolate all over your shirt. Don't embarrass us. Uh, and I just thought, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Kit Kat stains and all. And um, I put my hand up, spoke, decently received, didn't think about it that much. The next day, um, a group of people came up to me and said, we're looking for a young person to be um, to, to come and join us in our in, in this group called Friends of Fallowfield, which are trying to save the library. And I joined it and uh, got involved in kind of activism to an extent. And uh, we saved the library. We made it into a private charity. And, you know, literally 10 years later, now I, I've become a trustee for the past three years and I helped to run it. And we get private funding to fund this library. And it's doing even better than it was doing before. So that's when I realized that politics can make a difference. It didn't hit me until I started working with different organizations and realizing that actually, why are charities having to do so much to support young people, whether it be in education, whether it be in arts, whether it be whatever it may be, sports, they're having to fill the massive void that the government no longer fills and that the government used to fill when I was really young. And I remember them filling when I was really young. So we're now relying on philanthropists and organizations and businesses to give and donate because the government simply isn't fulfilling their duties. And even when these organizations and charities are, are given to these smaller charity, um, smaller charities, it's like, you know, it, they're not hitting every single young person in this country, but the government could and has the ability to do so. So that's when I realized every decision is political, actually. You know, uh, whether you're funding certain things or not funding other things, it's a political decision. And I feel like if you're from a middle class or upper, upper class family or area, 
your community already has the resources to fill the voids that the government can um, the government doesn't fill but in these other communities it leads to so much badness genuinely leads to so much badness it leads to kids being involved in crime when they don't have things to get, to get involved in and community groups to go to and youth groups to go to and i'm not saying it's the government's responsibility to take care of every child i'm not saying that what i'm saying is there's children don't decide who their parents are children don't decide what families they're born into it's i believe it's the government's responsibility to ensure that when parents fail there is some sort of little safety net that these children can still um hold on to and it's not necessarily parents fail as well there might be single parent households where parents need to go out and work and are working really hard for their children who they love and who they care about but whatever it may be the government must fill that void and um at the moment they're not and that's kind of what got me involved in politics. I kind of started working with the, with the charity sector a little bit. And, and I met people that were involved in politics and they said like uh, growing up, people always used to say, you should get involved in politics. You should get involved in politics. You're a natural politician. And I used to be slightly offended because my idea of politicians wasn't necessarily a good one. Um, I've been a member of the Labour Party. I respect a lot of the people in the Labour Party and a lot of the MPs. However, we've been governed the majority of my adult life, all of my adult life, since I was 10 years, since I was 11 years old, by the Conservative government. And they have failed people again and again and again. So when people compare me to politicians or getting involved in that stuff, like I find it quite a, a difficult industry to get into. But I realised that I have to do it because if I don't do it, then who? For my community, if I don't do it, then who? And I've been privileged to have these incredible people in my life, both family and incredible mentors that have supported me to get to this point in my life where this is maybe an option for me in the next decade. And even though I have moments of thinking I can't get involved in politics, like I think it's it's going to be such an emotionally draining, um, um, emotionally draining uh, industry to get into and a profession to get into. Um, someone has to do it because if you're not on the table, you're on the plate, and it's as simple as that. Right. So bringing the conversation a little bit back to where we are at the moment, the Blavatnik School of Government. And and you being part of this cohort, the, the the master of public policy, you know, we heard already a little bit about, you know, what brought you here, but you know, how did this actually work? You know, who how did the, your mentor um kind of motivated you? How did she discover you? Um but also why did you in the end decide to do it? What are you trying to to get out of this uh program? Yeah, so I mean, I guess the the main thing that I'm trying to get out of it is if I do decide to get involved in politics, I want to be the best possible politician I can be. And um, I want to have the most amount of experience and I want to be the best represent, uh, representative of my constituent. I'm a Mancunian, so I'm from Manchester. I'm very proud to be in Manchester. And hopefully if I do get involved in politics, I'll be involved in Manchester politics um, on a national or a local stage. Um But my mentors kind of pushed me to do this because they also believe that I can one day be in that position to do, um, to, to run for office. I think the MPP is a unique opportunity to not only have time to just sit back and think, think about what you want from life, think about what you, what, what your political opinions are on a very varied amount of topics. I mean, you know, I am political, but I found myself not having a strong opinion on a lot of stuff that happens and we, that we talk about. Um, 
and just having the opportunity to think about things in a lot more detail has been incredible. But the main thing I wanted to get out of this opportunity is just to meet incredibly inspiring people from all over the world that are incredibly passionate about making the world a better place. And I've genuinely found that here. And um, that's been one of the most humbling experiences of a lifetime. Um, I think coming here, I was so self-conscious of the fact that you know, I've, I've worked in higher education. I've worked in higher education for three years and I don't know if I have experience that I can give to others or whatever it may be. But in, in, in hindsight, I kind of realized that there's loads of different things um, outside of my professional experience that I can give to other people, whether it be my volunteering experience or working um, with organizations or what I've done when I was younger as a student. Um, so yeah, that's been amazing as well. But I think hopefully that the MPP will give me the ability to be a better representative of my community. The MPP will allow me um, and the University of Oxford, of course, like you can't take away from the fact that the University of Oxford gives you some sort of stamp for your professional career. And that's, it is what it is. Whether I agree with that or not is a different story. I mean, I'm from Manchester Metropolitan University and I think that's an incredible university as well. Um, but the University of Oxford also gives you a stamp of approval as well. So now this brings us back a little bit to the topic of education and, and you know, how maybe different institutions give you different opportunities. You already kind of analyzed a little bit about, you know, what's going wrong. Is there like this one particular thing that you would want to change right now, maybe in your neighborhood or in, uh, in Manchester or in, in Britain as a whole? And kind of uh, in, on what tra trajectory are you on right now? You know, what, what, where will this master take you? Okay, yeah. So for, for the first part in regards to what I would change about the education system, I think this country, one of the most sickening things about it um, is that we don't respect uh, teachers anymore. We genuinely don't respect teachers. I think the biggest role models in my life from a very early point in my life, I wanted to be a teacher because my role models were all teachers. And um, teachers, you know, on the large part are incredibly selfish individuals, selfless individuals who don't get paid a lot of money already, who are incredibly overworked, who, you know, have the opportunity to make such a large difference in so many students' lives. So if you're thinking, if you're asking me what, what difference, I would, um, what change I'd make, I would try to, firstly, increase the amount of pay that they get genuinely increase the amount of teaching assistance that we have so that they can also get, um, give teachers the support that they need to make the classroom a better place to be but just in general i don't know if you know this johannes but this country's got a um has as a crisis you know i'm using quotation marks for those that can't see my hands um has a crisis when it comes to the amount of teachers that are kind of coming through the system because it's not a it's not a career that people want to get in, into anymore you know, they're not paid particularly well, especially with the cost of living crisis. Um, and the distress that they have on their shoulders is incredible as well. But I think in general, the country, the teachers in this country, from higher education to um, sixth forms and colleges to high schools to primary schools, um, are just genuinely incredible. Um, they do an amazing job um, with, a, with, a, with a serious lack of resources in comparison to where this country was 20 years ago. You know, um, 20 years ago, I think teachers were much better off than they are now. So, yeah, so th that's kind of what I would change. In regards to my future traje uh, trajectory, sorry, um, completely honest, I don't know. Um, I know that I, you know, I, I recently wrote down, it's kind of corny, but I recently wrote down on my, in my bedroom, 
um, the word purpose and uh, like just to make me think about what is gen what genuinely what is my purpose and um and being here and the slogan kind of ruins my purpose but my purpose because it's using the slogan but my purpose is generally to make my community a better place and the world a better place as a whole so hopefully politics maybe politics will give me the opportunity to do that but also i could see myself being involved in the charity sector and making a difference or even being involved in a corp, um, corporate organization and making a difference within the organization and using the resources and the influence that they have to make the world a better place as well in different ways but one thing that i know for sure is that no matter what job i do i'll be involved in the charity sector to make sure that um, i give back in, in in one way or another as a trustee going to a couple of meetings a year which takes no effort or actually going and volunteering physically and, and being there with either you know kids or um helping out at food banks whatever it may be because that kind of always gives me perspective in life and i think it's one of the most selfish things you can do genuinely one of the most selfish things that you can do is volunteer because it it not only makes you feel better about yourself but also it gives you a perspective that a lot of other people don't get so I don't talk about my volunteering or anything like that that much because I think the reasons I do it are not only just to give back, to be honest. They're not just to give back. It's also to always have perspective and it gives me just this incredible perspective of of where we are in this country, where I am, but also what I can give back. I don't know if that comes across very well, but yeah, that's kind of, yeah. No, I think it, it does. Um And it shows that you're very humble about this and, and not using it as a means to maybe impress people. Um, and I think uh, if more of us human beings uh, would think about their purpose, I mean, that's also a little bit a question of privilege, but uh, whoever has the privilege and, and, and decides to think about you know their purpose, I think, and arrives at a conclusion that you do, uh, I think the world would be at a much better place. Um, now, we, we talked about, or you mentioned, you know, Oxford being this kind of unique uh, opportunity for a lot of people um, and, and being maybe the stamp on the, on the resume that, you know, opens a lot of doors. Mm, what would you say to people who are struggling at the moment to, you know, to, or who are thinking about applying for the, for the school, but like maybe are not as convinced of themselves to take this step? Oh, you're asking the right person, Johannes. I'm an expert. I'm, I'm genuinely an expert. I think I spent so much time watching all the videos that BSG put out, trying to get every single bit of detail that I could get because I was so self-conscious of the fact that I didn't think I would get in and I really, really wanted to. So talking directly to people, and I want to speak directly to the people that maybe kind of fall into my category, who are maybe younger, who maybe don't feel like they have the professional experience. Firstly, I think if you do have three or four years or even two years of experience, but in them two years, you've done amazing things, and you're thinking about not applying, just apply, you know, and, and see what happens. Because I think just going through that process can be really useful. Um, I think you need to know what your purpose is and why you're coming here and what your passion is. In the application process, I just threaded through like my story in every single 
like every single application and they, they kind of suggested you do that um in the videos that you, you probably watch on youtube if you're thinking about applying here but in your personal statement in your policy challenge whatever it may be just the three or four different pieces of um, um um documents that you need to give just talk about what you're passionate about why you want to be on the mpp but also why you what you think you'll give i remember that i said in my application at some point that i said um at the end of my personal statement and i genuinely mean meant this as well that um i want to be the perfect MPP student, someone that gives back, something along the lines of this, I can't remember exactly, but someone that gives back to the cohort, someone that's thoughtful, um, someone that uses the experience to make the world a better place. So, yeah, it's difficult. I'm not going to lie. A lot of people apply that don't get in. Um, but if you're thinking about applying here, do it. Believe in yourself. Have the people around you that will read your application. Have the people around you that will give you an incredible reference um and just think genuinely think okay even if you're not applying this year and you're thinking about applying next year in that one year that which seems so short but seems so long but can go so quickly make sure you do enough to kind of add benefit and add value to your application so yeah is there i think we're coming kind of to an end um is there something that in you know that kind of has triggered you during this conversation that you didn't really manage to say that you would like to say now um before we before we kind of come to a close um i think the main thing i'd say is life's a journey i think and um you know every single one of us no matter how confident someone seems on the outside um has these has these moments of self-doubt and i have these moments of self-doubt and i'm sure a lot of other people do on our course and our cohort um being rejected by bsg not coming to bsg because you can't afford it whatever it may be doesn't necessarily make you less likely to make an impact on the world um if you are coming to bsg and you're, you're thinking that you might not be able to fit in here you will you'll do incredible the fact that you're even thinking that to an extent means you're a humble person and that you're that you're going to do well here and um and yeah that's basically it just believe in a world better place and have the audacity to hope because I think negativity for me is the worst thing. I hate people that just think that the world will never be better. Like, if that's the case, like, why are we here? Let's make the world a better place. Let's believe that we can make it a better place. Um, and yeah, and just, yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. Have the audacity to hope. I think that's a beautiful kind of closing uh, statement. Thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you so much for your openness. This has been really uh, inspirational and, and very interesting um and i'm i'm grateful to to have had this conversation with you uh for everyone else um please to stay up to date you can receive notification for new episodes by subscribing to the oxford policy podcast wherever you get your podcast um you can also join the conversation by engaging with us on social media on twitter we have um the act at oxford policy pod And on Instagram, we are on at Oxford Policy, Policy Pot as well. So very easy. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully see you, hear you at the next episode. Thanks. <laughs>